Gary Burgess and welcome to the ME Show, supported by the ME Association. This series, we're focusing on experts, including those researching ME, those looking to raise awareness of understanding and ultimately, hopefully, those trying to find a cure. This time around, I speak to Sue Pemberton. Sue is an occupational therapist who left the NHS to set up her own practice. It's called the Yorkshire Fatigue Clinic. It helps many ME patients. I was a little worried that I was about to tread integrated exercise therapy territory, but I hope, like me, you'll be reassured by what you hear from somebody who clearly has a deep understanding of how ME can steal the lives of people with both mild to moderate and severe forms of the disease. After our chat, Sue asked me to mention that she's currently closed to any new private patients as she's full with existing NHS referrals. And I hope you find what we spoke about as interesting as I did. Sue Pemberton, welcome to the ME Show. How are you today? I'm fine. Thank you very much for inviting me. It is my absolute pleasure. It was uh, Dr. Charles Shepherd uh, who flagged up your name and the Yorkshire Fatigue Clinic, which I'll admit, Sue, uh, until that point, I knew nothing about. So uh, I, I guess going br- back to brass tacks, what is the Yorkshire Fatigue Clinic and, and how did it come to be? Okay, well, we're very small, so I'm not, I'm not surprised you haven't heard of us. Um, so basically, we've been around for about six years. So I previously worked in the NHS in Leeds. Um, I've been a specialist in this area for about 29 years now. And then six years ago, they made changes to our service. So I left and set up the Yorkshire Fatigue Clinic. So it's basically myself. Um, we've got a, a part-time GP and another occupational therapist. Um, so we're very small. We work specifically with patients, obviously, with ME, but also we see people who have disabling fatigue related to other physical conditions. Um, and we now hold a contract with the NHS for ME. So we've been doing, we've just got new contracts, so we'll be doing that for the next five years. Oh, how exciting. What What is it you actually do? You know, you, you, you said you were providing a service within the NHS prior to setting yeah. up the clinic and, and now without, I guess, has some advantages and some limitations as any change does. What do you actually do when a, a patient rocks up through referral or making contact with you? Okay. So we have quite um, an elongated assessment process because people are so different. So they will obviously get an initial assessment where we will go through all of their problem areas. And I think one of the difficulties with ME is that there's such complexity of symptoms. You can have people with quite different presentations. So it's really important to us we understand the severity and the sort of pattern of that person's symptoms. We will also allow everyone to come along to an introductory session where they can bring someone with them because often it's carers want to understand this condition as well, where we give them information about our model, how we understand the illness, And then they will have an individualised care plan as well. So we do all that before we actually start treating anything. Because at the care plan, we're going to start to talk about what their particular needs are, what they think the priorities are, what's going to be the best approach. Because there's no one way to treat this condition. Um, We then provide a range of things because we see people who are very, very severe. So we've got bed-bound patients we obviously see at home. We've got people we see by Skype. 
we have people who come in and have individual sessions and then we also provide group treatments. But it's, it's quite a range of things because every patient's different. We don't have one programme and say, right, you all have to go through these steps. The whole process is about, you know, if you've got more orthostatic symptoms, how do we manage those? If you've got sleep disruption, how are we going to manage that? So it's really about putting lots of pieces together to make that individual's pathway. I think what's important for me to ask and get clarity on from you, Sue, is I've learned through my own ME journey, as much as I hate that phrase, yeah. uh, over the past couple of years, I'm learning more and more about the, the, the do's and don'ts and also the, the history of the treatment of this illness yes. uh, and, and clear concern around graded exercise therapy. And now the NICE guidelines yes. are being reviewed. What you're yes. offering, I'm, I'm assuming, is not graded exercise therapy. No, it's not. Uh, we've, we, obviously, it's really important to talk about these terms because these terms get used all, all the time. Absolutely. So, so is it okay if I spend just a little bit of time explaining kind of how I see these terms and how we would actually deliver it? Because I think that's important. Oh, Sue, please do. Please do. Yeah. So firstly, it is important to say rehabilitation is about so much more than these techniques. We, we talk about these techniques all the time, but actually it's much broader. But if we focus in on these terms, one of the problems to me is we all use these terms, CBT and GET, um, as if we're all talking about the same thing. And clearly some people have very, very negative experiences of these techniques. And then there's other people who found them very helpful. So the question is, why? Why are we getting such a range of experiences? And partly that may be because people have got different presentations, so what helps one person may not help somebody else. But I think much more importantly to me, it's about how these interventions, because they are really just tools, that they're tools that can be applied in lots of different ways, how they're being used and why they're being used. And for me, it's not just about tools, it's about your underlying model of the illness. So if you take a model of the illness that says people are simply deconditioned, they're simply not doing enough, they're weak, they're unfit, we need to build their stamina, then you would use graded exercise in a certain way to do that. But if actually you understand that that is completely wrong for this condition, you know, I've never understood that model because my patients fluctuate. So some days they're doing lots more than they are able to do on other days. And also we have so much medical evidence now about the impact of exertion on these symptoms. So if you take that model, then obviously you're going to use that technique in a certain way. If you take the idea that people just simply aren't thinking right or they're avoiding things and you use CBT to address that, then clearly that will help people when that's the problem. But with ME, they have an illness. So if you do that, it doesn't change their biological illness. So to me, you can't talk about the techniques without actually talking about what you think the illness is. So in our clinic, the model we have is much more about recognising that this particular illness, however we understand it, we know, even if we don't know the exact cause, that it does, it does cause disruptions across the body systems. So often an immune trigger or event has led to dysregulation of all the different physiological processes in the body, like sleep, digestion, temperature control, inflammatory reactions, energy. 
So if you apply those techniques and approaches from that perspective, you use them in a, a very different way. So if I give you a good example, go rest. Okay. So we know that people need to rest with this illness. That if they keep exerting themselves, then they cause an exacerbation, an inflammatory reaction in their symptoms. Yeah, a lot of my patients really struggle to rest so that they may sit and not move, but their brain still goes. So it's really difficult for them to get restorative rest. And when I talk to them about why that might be, they'll say things like, um, well, I just feel I'm letting people down or I've got too much to do or this has to be done. So that would be CBT if you want to call it that. But to me, it's much more about addressing dysregulation. So our therapy is all based on the idea that things like your nervous system, so your autonomic nervous system, the balance between your on and off switch, and your immune system and your hormones, things like your HPA access that control your daily rhythms through the day, are all disrupted. So what we're doing with the techniques is about actually trying to re-regulate those systems. Does that make sense, Gary? It does make sense. And I am delighted we've said this so early in this conversation because I, I feared it would otherwise be the elephant in the room. Um, oh, absolutely. It was, <laughs> isn't it? And, uh, that, that reassures me. It's what I thought you were going to say, but I, I thought I must ask you for starters. So on that basis of, of clearly you having the deeper understanding of the complexity of ME that I think patients want to hear from medical professionals. Yes. It sounds to me, actually, you're using tools to deal with individual bricks within the body rather than just throwing it at the body and saying, here's your cure, because we know that doesn't exist. Absolutely. And you've got to work with the body system. If we, if we take a key system like orthostatic control, so that's your ability to stand up against gravity. If you don't improve that and you just ask people to do more, they will feel more ill because every time they get up and they move around, they're just increasing that response. So actually by looking at other strategies, so it might be things like <clears throat> drink more fluid. It might be things about um, medications or things like compression tights that might help you control your blood flow when you get up and move around. We also do things like heart rate. So if your heart rate's already very fast when you're at rest, when you try and get up and move around, it's going to feel worse. So you can't just say to people, go do this. You have to understand what's going on in their individual body and what needs. We, we talk about stabilizing. It's really, really important that people stabilize before they build. So we do a whole piece of work, the whole first phase of therapy is all about how we get stability. How do we try and stop those really big sort of dips and increased periods of symptoms by trying to get more control over what the body's doing? And, and like I say, it's much more individualized. How long is a patient in your care because I, I, I'm imagining this is not a one week one month for some people one year thing it might be a lifetime thing how, how does it work <laughs> oh absolutely absolutely we completely changed when I worked under the NHS we used to deliver a program over a number of weeks so if you came to a group treatment you might come for 10 weeks now I fundamentally struggled with that because people were spending all their time recovering from the session before they became to the next session so they couldn't actually implement anything because they're too well recovering. 
So we do it over a much longer period of time. So most of our patients, even the mild to moderates, um, if you did the group program, it takes at least 10 months because you have some individual support as well to do. So even our simplest program will take about 10 months to do. And our severe patients, as we all know, that is a very slow, very careful process. So I've got some people who I've been seeing for maybe 15, 16 years because they need that ongoing support. Tell me what success looks like. I know you want to wave a magic wand and cure everybody, as, as every medic does, but, but that's not where we are today. Um, for, a, for a mild to moderate uh, and for a severe patient, obviously two very different journeys, yes. what, what, what does success look like in each of those cases? What, what, what differences have you been able to make to those people's lives? Okay. So I think the first thing to clarify there is such a spectrum as in there of disorders and, and that we, we do need to acknowledge that we're not probably talking about one illness. We're probably going to end up with subcategories sure. within that and probably each of those subcategories has a different journey and pathway. So some people may have a very good prognosis, for other people it might be a real struggle. But improvement can be really varied. Um, so for example, we also treat youngsters as well as adults. And youngsters have a slightly different recovery pathway to say an adult might have. So I have had children we've worked with who's gone from, I had one girl um, who was sleeping 24 hours a day, so we couldn't actually feed her because she was asleep. Um, And she was hospitalised in order to to care for her until she was able to wake for periods. Um, She's just gone to university. (laughs) So she's gone with support, but she has gone. Whereas we might have other people where improvement to them might be quality of life. You might be able to sit up and actually be able to do things independently. Um, One girl this year opened her Christmas presents on Christmas Day for the first time. So improvement is a real spectrum, isn't it? But we, we can't ignore there are people who do get good recovery, particularly in the mild category, that if you give the right treatment early to certain groups of patients... We've got lots of patients who have gone back to full-time work, um, who've gone back to their normal daily activities, but they are always very careful about how they manage their energy. It's a bit like being a diabetic. You've got to continually think about and manage your energy differently. But then you have other people where it's not due to their amount of effort or determination or whether they've done the programme right or not. Their illness means that they are maybe only going to stabilise their symptoms. And we're going to get better quality of life. I think what's really important is not to blame the patient for their progress. Why do you do this, Sue? I mean, this is one hell of a job you've decided to do, more of a vocation (laughs) than a job. Why do you do it? What what do you get out of it? It it feels like it it, it must be a mission to continue this when when there there are so many obstacles and boom and busts and successes and failures along the way. Yeah, it, it is. It's a very hard field to work in. And I, and I understand why patients feel as they feel. But as a professional, it's a hard field to work in. You know, you don't get a lot of support from colleagues. You get a lot of hostile reactions sometimes. So it is hard. Um, I came into the field completely accidentally many, many years ago. And I stayed because actually the people I work with, the patients I see every day are the most motivated bunch of patients I've ever worked with. Yeah. They want to get better. Yeah. They're the reasons. You know, we get notes every day, messages. I had a message yesterday from a guy saying, I'm listening to what 
everybody else's experiences. And I'm so grateful that I found a service that helped me. And that, that's why you keep doing it. That's fabulous. It really is. Um, I, I, I don't want to risk shutting down your business, but I want to steal no. shamelessly from you while you're here, Sue. If you're able to offer some free advice to somebody listening to this podcast, uh, and I accept everyone listening will have their own experience and their own position on this spectrum of severity as well. But are there yes. some basics that people could take away and do today that they, they might have overlooked or, or might have lapsed in doing? Yes, I think there probably are. Um, we always say it's, it's about that stability. And what a lot of people do is they think their good days are their norm now so they try to work to those it's really really important that you must be stable first you must be able to sustain what you can do before you try building it up so for the majority of people that means pulling back on the good days and that's the hardest thing to do people are like well I, I feel a bit better today and I can get this done I can get this done whenever you say the word just to yourself don't do it because yeah, people say, well, I'll just do this extra five minutes. And my message would be don't. Yeah. Also, think about the quality of your rest. You need to balance your body, this on and off switch that we have, what's called the sympathetic and the parasympathetic nervous system. So you need to invest. Don't see rest as a waste of time. Rest is about recharging, but you've got to switch the brain off as well as the body. So think about that. Am I really switching off or am I sitting there thinking about all the things I want to be able to do once I get going again? Yeah. So if everyone can think about trying to, to balance it out, pull back on the good days, try and work to limits, don't try and build until you're ready. Yeah. And also, everybody's got a little voice in their head that's saying to them the right things, but they don't listen to it. <laughs> They'll say, well, I knew, yeah, I shouldn't really do that, but I did it anyway. We've got to start listening to that little voice because it is trying to tell you you need to pull back. Do you know, Sue, it's, it's spot on. On, on, those, on those good days, um, well, funnily enough, on a good day, sometimes I feel guilty for having a good day. But then yes. on a good day, I feel this obligation to do X, Y and Z. And it's only yes. with hindsight I look back and I think, what a bloody idiot. That was the day yes. where you should be enjoying recharging that battery enjoying being bored reveling in nothingness yet there's there's something in the human psyche that says otherwise exactly and that's what we're addressing with the therapies is people's own drivers the advice is fairly simple advice you know improving sleep improving, improving fluid intake sensible diet eating frequently the, the advice is not tricky the problem is people drive themselves. It's that internal driver. And, and to me, that's what CBT is. It's not that the illness is in your head. The illness is in your body, your nervous system, your immune system. But your brain drives the body. It's in charge. And it's what's telling you to make those choices. Well, I think I'll just do this. Or I feel guilt is the biggest driver. Guilt is definitely not anxiety, not avoidance, guilt. People feel bad and they push themselves. If we change those behaviours, the body then gets the chance to try and um, do what we call homeostasis, get itself back into that ideal environment for it to do its job. So you're dead right. That, that, that drive, that guilt, that sense of obligation 
we have to address that with people to give them permission, allow them to actually work within their limits and then build their body up very gradually. How many Sue Pembertons are there in the UK? You know, I, I imagine there'll be... <laughs> what a terrifying thought. Yeah, my patients say, can't you clone yourself? I'm like, well, no. I imagine, that, you know, there may be people listening to this anywhere in the British Isles. I know we've got people listening overseas as well, but who, who may go and do a quick Google search and may not find the equivalent of the Yorkshire Fatigue oh. Clinic. You know, what are services like? I, I imagine you're about to say patchy. Yeah, I think that that's my worry. My worry is services are patches. In, in fact, there are there are no services for many people, and the services we've got, I, we need to give better training, better support, better supervision. There's been a lot of pressure on services to deliver therapies a certain way. Most therapists will actually tell you that they do things very differently. They don't want to do just CBT or GET. So we need to support therapists to use their actual professional skills. We need to make sure they understand the correct model of the illness so that you're using these techniques appropriately and not inappropriately. Um, But, you know, there's a lot of good professionals out there who with the right support and encouragement, because there's so many people with ME, there's so many people who need help. Um, My real worry at the moment is we just walk away from that and we say, okay, we're not going to do any of these treatments. So we leave people with nothing. Yeah. Yeah. And and that is equally as damning because there are people who are helped. You know, we know through the research that was done on national services, for our service, 67% of patients report a significant change or improvement. So we did include our severes and we wouldn't expect them to have a significant change or improvement. But we mustn't walk away from that 67% either. Where are we at? You know, we, we've had the debate in the House of Commons, you know, the I think it's yeah. the third debate now being being spearheaded by Carol Monaghan, who's really building political momentum. We have the, the nice guidelines review in terms of the, 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 the best treatment, the pathway for dealing with ME. Um, where, where are we at? Are, are you hopeful? Are, are, are you just worried that this is just same old, same old? Because you also see the financial pressures on the NHS yeah. and their contracted services. What, what, what's your sense? I, my, my personal sense is I see there are opportunities. Certainly with the NICE guidelines, there's an opportunity, isn't there, for us to build something that patients feel is much more helpful to them. I'm, I'm also worried. I'm, I'm quite scared that, you know, we get the wrong advice or we get no advice, you know. And commissioners, they're very tight on money. They've got lots of things to spend on. It's very easy for them not to spend on this area. Yeah. So we could end up being in a worse situation where people have nowhere to go to. And that's what really worries me is, you know, we end up with nothing. Yeah, no help at all. How do we avoid that? Well, as we always have had to do, is to try and all work together. To me, we all have a shared goal. Whether you're a patient or a professional researcher, we all do have a shared goal, that we do want to improve the lives of people with this terrible, terrible illness. Yeah. yeah. It's, but we've got to work together. And, and I've tried to, throughout my career, kind of stay on the sidelines and just get on with it, I have to say. Um, but just see my patients and let's get on with that. But we, we have to try and work together. We have to stop 
the kind of infighting about who's right and who's wrong and accept there's things that need to change, but work together on how we change it. And whether we can do that or not, I don't know. Well, I want to stay positive. I know there are some good people in the world, including yourself. So let's let's hope for progress. I want to end on a on a positive note, Sue. If somebody <laughs> takes away a final thought from this podcast from you today, what would that final thought be? I think the final thought would be there are things that can be done that will help you. If we get you the right help, there are things, you know, things can improve for this condition. We can't fix it. We can't just click our fingers. There isn't a medication today. There may be in the future. But there are things that can help you manage this much better and that may be able to improve your condition. So. I'm really grateful for your time. I know you are stupidly busy. In, in the show notes that come with this podcast, I'll, I'll put links to, to the clinic so people can read up a little bit more about you and what you do. But thank you so much for joining us on the ME show today. No problem. Thank you very much for the invite, Gary. Take care. Sue Pemberton from the Yorkshire Fatigue Clinic. And you'll find links to Sue's work in the show notes that accompany this podcast. As ever, my shameless plug, if you're listening in iTunes, please rate and review the show there. It'll help boost our visibility when other people search for the ME show. For now, as ever, thank you for listening. <laughs>